Welcome to the Solve for Greatness podcast with your hosts, Dr. G and Budima. This podcast hopes to inspire everyone to realize their own greatness, maximize their potential, and create massive impact. Let's do this. Heshan Fernando is a man who has turned his adversity into something very beautiful. In his words, during a moment of darkness at 22 years old, lying in a hospital bed, I made a new promise to myself that I would do everything I could to get myself out of this stressed out life of survival I felt trapped in. Years on from that hospital bed, I took a leap of faith to change my life. This leap of faith took Heshan on a journey of self-discovery, investing over $75,000 on masterminds and personal growth programs. Needless to say, not only did he find himself, he found much, much more. He not only found a way to get out of his own funk, he has learned how he can help others do the same, which is a bloody, bloody beautiful thing. He has now dedicated his life to helping men achieve professional success that doesn't cost them their health, relationships, and happiness. It is with utmost gratitude that I welcome my new friend, Heshan Fernando, to the Soul for Greatness podcast. Welcome, brother. That was beautiful, man. Thank you for having me. Dude, thank you for, thank you for your time. I know you're a man that values their time and um, I don't take it lightly. Uh, we don't take it lightly. Unfortunately, uh, Buddhima couldn't be here today, but the show must go on. <laughs> My first question to you, man, is when Buddhima mentioned, oh, this is a guy called Heshan, we should really get him on the show, looked you up, got into a, a bit of your story. And I was like, you talk about this moment of darkness in your early 20s. What happened? And what got you to this point from that to high performance mindset coach? Yeah. I mean, you practically just asked me my life story, which I'd love to share. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what happened was I actually got bottled when I was at a club event in like a uni club event, trying to actually protect one of my friends from getting hit. So there was a whole backstory to that in the night, but I ended up kind of diving in the way of what was already a fight that was breaking out in the club. And I just was kind of wrong place, wrong time. And then also having this need to protect my friend, I acted instinctually and I actually got hit on the eye. So I had eyelid surgery and all of these things at the time. So that's what happened. The way I look at the situation, like one of the best things that ever happened to me. Now, people think I'm crazy sometimes when I say this. Like, how can you perceive something like that being so traumatic being the best one of the best things that ever happened to you and I think inside of that I was able to find myself that moment I was able to find myself when I was living a life where I was almost living dead if I had to put it into words living dead what, what do you mean I was alive right like I was doing things but the quality of my life was so poor the relationships around me, family, friends weren't working. I wasn't really conscious or aware of much of what was going on in my life. Everything was going wrong. My studies, I wasn't doing that well. 
career prospects didn't look that great because I was just living a life so unconscious. And that's what I mean by living dead, a life where I just wasn't aware of anything that was happening. And I was always at the mercy of my reality and of what was happening around me. And it led to a life that felt like, looked like I was alive, but I felt on the inside like I was dead. Wow. It almost sounds like you were existing, but not living, like you're not. And the way I sort of interpret your story is you're doing more than living now, you're thriving. <laughs> like how does the bottling incident play in? Like if you didn't get bottled that night and you didn't have to go to hospital, what about going to hospital and having the surgery? And is it the time that you had to think being on a hospital bed and finally having no other obligations other than waiting for your surgery and getting your treatment? What happened there and why did that lead to all this beautiful stuff? Yeah, great question. It was a moment, yes, where I got to actually put aside everything that was happening in my life, all the noise, and actually just be with myself. Because for one, I had bandages wrapped around my head most of the time. So I actually couldn't see, like during those two, three days before the surgery. And I spent most of my time, yeah, just like with myself, like I couldn't see anything around me. And when you close your eyes, you're just left with your thoughts. So when I was left with my thoughts for that long period of time in from what was a very traumatic experience, I was left with, wait, what actually happened here? And questioning now, am I going to have to live my life without being able to see with one eye? Are they going to take my eye out? Like there was all these discussions happening where they were like, we don't know the state or the damage of what's happened to your eye. There's glass in there, like your eyelids being cut and all of these things. And there's no guarantee that you'll be able to see or like what the next steps is. So when you hear something like that and you sit, sit with your own thoughts for three days, not knowing if you're going to come out with like a good result, it just leaves you time to actually think. And I was not a person being fully honest with you who thought about much about what was going on in my life and how it had come to be and why I was living that way. I just, as you put it, existed. Just reacting, reacting to life. Yeah. I was, I was a reaction to life. Oh, man. And in those moments of, I guess, three days, which probably felt like you probably felt every second of those three days, I guess the thoughts of what would happen if you can't see or what, what would your life look like? In that moment of darkness, could you conceptualize the light that is now? Yes. Um, the short answer is yes. What actually happened was I started to have very positive thoughts. For the first time, for as long as I can remember, positive thoughts were coming to my mind during that time. Where I was mm. thinking, there are people around the world who can't see at all. There are people who are in far worse off situations than me, like me getting hit by a glass bottle, I'll be able to live, like I'll be able to go on. Yes, it, it might damage the way I look, I might have to work on the way I feel about how I look just out in public if things are different. All those thoughts were going through my head, but I was constantly thinking about the positive perspective of living a life where potentially I don't have that eye. And that shocked me and also got me thinking, wait, I've been thinking very negatively about things, living in kind of a victim mentality, I recognize, where I was always blaming my external reality for the circumstances that I was in. And I couldn't figure out why. 
things weren't the way I wanted it to be in any area of my life, my health, my finances, my relationships, my career. But sitting in that, in that room, like these were the thoughts that I was having, noticing suddenly when I was in my darkest moment, I was thinking the most positive thoughts I'd thought in a long time. That did something to me. It made me question what was actually going on here. And it made me recognize that it was my internal state that was actually causing everything to happen in my outer reality. That realization is what propelled my life in a new direction from then on. So in those moments, it almost sounds like your mindset changed from things are happening to me to things are happening because of me. It's a beautiful place to be because you can change. (laughs) Yeah, it leaves you responsible. It leaves you responsible. Okay, okay. So walk me through that process. You wouldn't transform straight away, right? That is a journey. Maybe even, I think from my research, when I went down the Heshan Fernando rabbit hole, <laughs> it sounds like perhaps even you know years, maybe a decade-long journey. So how do you change your mindset like that? Or how do you, what's that journey look like? Yeah, so I put it as after that period of time, I went way further down before I came up again. Mm. Like that wasn't the rock bottom. The rock bottom was actually post all of that happening and then sitting with the trauma of it all and also not knowing how to do that. So having to figure out a way to do so because I grew up in a family that didn't really talk about emotions, that didn't, didn't speak about much at all. Everything was a secret. Everything was taboo. You don't talk about anything real. I've mentioned many times my family and my upbringing. And my parents are amazing parents. They love me very much, but they didn't have the tools to be able to regulate their emotions. I'm sure it's something that a lot of people can relate to, especially uh, people like us, Sri Lankans, because I've heard it far too many times talking to my mates uh, about these things where it's like we didn't learn how to speak about things. Talking about anything that felt vulnerable didn't feel right. And I think that isn't right when you think about it. Yeah. Did you know what you were feeling and could you describe what was happening at the time or did you not have the vocabulary because I guess you just hadn't been exposed to it? Yeah. So that period of time afterwards, I recognized that I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't have the ability to regulate my emotions. I was what I felt violently angry. And my emotions Mm. were all over the place. So what I did was I locked myself in a room and I didn't really go outside much. And the times Mm. I did go outside, I'd put a mask on, go have fun and then come back home and be miserable again and just sit in my own pain. Doing that for long enough and being by myself for long enough gave me the time to try and figure out solutions or to like look for a way to come out of this hole. Now that took a long time, which is why it took years before I started going on a positive trajectory again in my life. Even after bottling, I think for at least the next two years, I was still going further down. Mm -hmm. When you were going down, did you know or did you have this idea of there is something better? I'm just on on the journey of finding it or were you just going down and you were like, what the hell is happening? Again, like I was living every day just trying to survive at that point. So every day I was like waking up. The thoughts were so loud in my head, like mentally unstable thoughts, right? And just angry thoughts, all sorts of thoughts screaming at me that just getting through the day was enough of a a battle, really. 
again, sitting with those thoughts, I remember I used to actually sit in front of a mirror where, because I didn't feel comfortable talking to anyone else. So I'd actually talk to myself in the mirror, kind of developed what I call split personality and recognized that I had these different parts of me, almost like these different identities playing out. And my identity was split. And I also recognize the impact of having a split identity where I'm actually just not myself amongst any person that I encounter, but I'm different people amongst different people. Mm. And the damage that that does. Now, this is the people-pleasing element. This is the... Shapeshifter. Yeah, the shapeshifter, many different terms for it. But at that time, I started. that's when I started to recognize the world of identity and how identity plays a role in whether we're happy or not. And when you were having, when you were talking to yourself and having these conversations, how did you conceptualize who you were then in your words? Like, you know, you, you're one person with, with your mates, you're one person at work, you're one person in your room by yourself. So how do you know who you are? Yeah, I spent the next 10 years trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just tell me in like two minutes? <laughs> I'm just checking, I'm just checking. Yeah, no, but yeah, in short, like it took me, I was focused on, growing and improving over time from that point on. So it became mm. about, can I survive the day to, can I survive the weeks to, can I survive the months to, okay, I'm going to stop trying to survive now. I feel safe mm. enough to not just survive, but actually look at how can I start to build a life? I mm. mean, th- and there's many milestones in between those stages that kind of took me through the phases, but all along that journey, I was trying to figure out who am I in all of this. And then my organization which was like probably eight years later. Now, 2018 is when I had the idea of the model man. It just popped into my head in a moment and like everything that I felt like I was called to and everything that made all my past pain made sense. I was like, oh, I went through all of that to deliver this. Okay. So it's been a journey ever since and I'm continuing to figure out who I am, but I've come very far in that journey. So I feel like that's a win. Oh, it's incredible. It's a huge win. And the journey, I don't think, ends, right? We change. We transform and evolve. So at this point, who are you? Hmm. I am what I value is my answer. And that's like to your point of we're always growing. Similarly, what we value is always evolving as well. And I think if we're connected to what we truly value and we're living a life congruent to what's truly important to us, the more that we're doing that, the more we are who we actually are, the more we are being who we actually are. Yeah, man, this is, this is so good. And thank, I just want to stop and thank you for being so vulnerable because I think this is so relatable. And, you know, adversity does it not discriminate, right? Everyone gets their turn. That's just a part of life. And, you know, if anyone's listening and they're in the midst of adversity, I think it's so empowering to think like, oh, maybe this is something that I can take in a few years and build it into something that helps other people or creates beautiful life that you couldn't have had without the adversity. So my question to you, and what do you value then? What do I value? Um, I value people. I value connection. I value being healthy feeling good internally and externally, and that's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual help. I value basketball. I love to play basketball. <laughs> I, love I value sports. 
<laughs> but above all, I think I value people. I think connection is like just one of my biggest values and one of the things I find most important. And one of the things that I was neglecting the most at the time that I was getting mm. bottled, that I got bottled, I was neglecting relationships. I was neglecting my family. And the people that were most important to me were being treated like they were the least important to me. And so my life reflected that. Mm, mm. For someone who's listening, and this is probably a big question, but I'll, I'll pose it to you. I'm so aligned in terms of, I guess, understanding yourself, understanding your values as a way of approaching life. Because otherwise, I think you're sort of at the whim of a more of a goals-driven life. And those goals may... One of my friends was talking to me about this. It was in, um, I think, Michelle Obama's book of this idea of like, you're climbing a ladder, but it's against the wrong wall. <laughs> and... And that's the risk, I guess, of having just a goals-driven life. But if you have a values-driven life, you can do that every single day and live into that every single day. And I guess the question I have for you, Hashan, is if someone's listening and they want to learn how to know who they are and how to understand their own values, do you have any advice or tools or strategies that people can use to find that out for themselves? Yes. I spoke to you before we started this recording about asking yourself really good questions. So what actually got me out of the the hole that I was in was I was constantly asking myself questions, journaling. So there was a tool there and a lot of people talk about journaling, but very specific journaling where you're actually deep diving into why you behave the way you behave, why you do what you do. Asking a question writing the answer to that that comes from your heart and then asking another question based on what you answered to get even deeper on the why. I mean, that's a practical tool I used to use in journal writing and now because I'm a coach on this stuff, I can just do it. And I know how to ask really good questions. I get people connected to what's really going on inside them, what they believe and the beliefs that are actually limiting them from being able to be more of themselves out in the world. I love that. So I guess even... So starting with, I think you mentioned, you know, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And then asking why and asking why and asking why. And I guess at the heart of that is to get deeper, isn't it? Because we don't, unless you ask those questions, I, you probably wouldn't naturally go to that, those answers. You sort of almost have to draw them out. Yeah. Well, I think people spend a lot of their time, and this is what I was guilty of, pointing the finger outwards at the world, looking at what everyone else is doing, questioning why they're doing what they're doing, questioning why did they treat me this way. Mm. I was doing that until I was 22. And then I started to go, why is what's out there my responsibility? Why do I feel this way right now? Why did I get triggered by what that person said? Rather than why did that person say what they said to me? It hurt me. Mm. You're taking ownership. Yeah, and it allowed me, and what I became really good at was asking the right questions and answering those questions for myself to get to, at the end, is the truth. So if I keep asking why enough, I'll get to the truth of why I believe what I believe. Mm. And what that gives you access to, again, this is what I do in my coaching, is 
once you're at the truth of what you believe, you get to see whether it's actually limiting you or it's empowering you. That's the next step to recognize. Mm. But the problem is a lot of people don't even know what they believe or why they believe it. And that is what I call a lack of self-awareness. And that's what I had. I had a lack of self-awareness around what I believed and why I believed it. But once I started to question those things, whenever a scenario would play out in my reality that would trigger me or cause me pain, I would immediately do the questioning. And I would question myself, not that person or not that thing that stressed me out, that triggered me. And I would question until I got to the truth of what was it about what I believed that allowed me to get triggered by what happened out there. And then you question whether it's limiting or empowering. Yeah. Like, is it actually true? Like, what the truth is for me, is that actually true? Like, did that person saying that thing and the way that I perceived what they were saying about me to mean something about me, like, is that actually true? Or is that something I've just felt about myself because of my past? Like, somebody might say, I don't know, you suck. That would hurt one person. But if that person said that to another person, it might not hurt them at all. Now, why is that? It's because that one person believes that they do suck. Some part of them believes that they suck. So when, when somebody mirrors that for them and actually says it to them, it hurts them. And it causes a reaction, which makes them a reaction to life. Because they won't respond to that thing consciously that that person said. They'll get angry. And that's reaction. But really what's going on is that person mirrored for you that, how you felt about yourself. And then you are triggered and you lashed out. And I mean, that very behavior, that very model I just described is responsible for arguments between a couple all the way to wars between countries. Are you familiar with neuro-linguistic programming or NLP? Why have you done yeah, I am. much work? I've been exposed to that stuff before, yes. I haven't studied it in depth, but I've done personal development that has involved that within its teaching. And I, the reason I bring it up, we had a Dr. Marley Watt in one of our earlier episodes, and she's like a NLP master. She's awesome. And we talked about this idea of like things happen and they're neutral, and then we make meaning of it. And then that leads to some sort of emotional state and eventually an action, which gives us certain results. And that idea of something happens, and like you described it perfectly, like, if someone tells you you suck, someone t- the same person tells the other person they suck, they respond differently. It's the same thing. Why are they responding differently? So it's something, something that's happening in our inner world, right? So it gives us so much, so much personal ownership of the type of life we lead and, and the type of results we get out of our relationships and work and everything. Yeah. But being honest with yourself and looking at yourself isn't easy, which is why a lot of people don't look to do it. But there is freedom in being super honest about how you feel about something Mm -hmm. because it releases a lot of the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment that you have tied to what a person says about you sucking. What gets triggered is an emotional release around shame or guilt or embarrassment or some stress you're carrying around the belief that you suck. (laughs) Yep. Which is fundamentally, well, whether it's true or false, it's more like, is it useful or not? And it's not, right? Walking around thinking that you suck. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny, but we all think some variation of that about ourselves. Like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And it can be very insidious, right? It's uh, Thank you for exploring, I guess, the darkness and then almost like the rise from the ashes is what I'm picturing, right? And part of your journey, this is so intriguing to me, involved you investing over $75,000 on masterminds and personal growth programs. What did that look like? I mean, I would, I would say that's a significant amount of money for most people to spend on themselves, which I love, by the way. I think people invest in other stuff like assets, I guess, that appreciate, but not necessarily ourselves as an asset that appreciates probably even more rapidly. But speak to that, man. I'm so, so curious about that. Cool, man. Thank you. That's a cool question. Never been asked it before. I believe there's there's external reality, internal reality, right? Now, similarly to what you said about investment there, a lot of the world values external investment, shares, stock trading, investing in all sorts of stuff. And like those things are forever evolving. That's the external. But I think there is no greater investment a human being can make in this world than into themselves. And the reason why I say that is investments in the stock market always go up and down. You have to constantly watch them. You have to be on alert. And you have to make right moves at the right time. But when you invest in yourself, that is a sure bet because investing in yourself is going to give you growth. And the growth is guaranteed if you just do the work for whatever investment you made. And that's all you have to do. And there's a guaranteed return. Mm. I mean, the, if I use uh, finance specifically, say I invested in a, a financial mentor or something, which I have in the past, somebody to help me on my money mindset, that will actually pay dividends because I've done the work on whatever stories I have around money, whatever beliefs I have around money, whatever meaning I've made around money being evil or good or whatever it is. I've undone it and it's put me in the position to actually go make money without it being this painful thing. And I'm probably going to make even more money because of it, which has happened to me. I had a terrible story around money growing up because my dad earned a lot of money. He was the corporate man, very successful, still is. And I watched him trying to earn all that money, trying to provide for the family, be what I thought in my mind, the, the reason why he was so stressed. And then he would come home and take that stress out on the family where he was short-tempered, he wasn't present. Really great man and one of my mentors now. But at the time, I didn't, respect, I didn't have that respect for him as a child because I blamed him. And then I, mm. what I eventually did was I blamed money. I was like, oh, money is responsible for why he chose to be that way. And so I hated money and I had a very adverse relationship with money growing up and I had to undo that. So part of my financial investments have been in people who have helped me with money mindset. Fascinating. So I get the impression you thought the pursuit of money was what was stopping your dad from being present and I guess looking after his own, not just personal health, but social health, like you know relationships and everything. And therefore money is perhaps the root of something unpleasant or negative or even evil. Is that fair to say that the mindset that you had? Yeah, I think there was, I mean, there's quite a bit to it because I've done a lot of movement through my money mindset over the years. But I think there was definitely some sense of that money 
money was the root of some sort of evil. And I just had a very adverse view on money. And I was kind of like, I don't need money. I don't want to show in any way that I have money. So I would wear like baggy clothes and hoodies. And my identity, I started to take on an identity of somebody who just wanted nothing to do with money because I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to end up in the place that he ended up because of the money that he was chasing. What's your mindset now? How do you conceptualize money now? Money is indicative of the fact that you're making impact. That's what it is for me. That's my mm. belief on money. So when I coach people and they pay me money to do that, to do this mindset work with them, to set them free from their own limiting beliefs and all of that, I know that money is indicative of the impact I had on this person. And so money doesn't matter to me anymore the way it did for a long time because what ended up happening was as much as I tried to like show that I didn't value money, I ended up overvaluing it because I was trying to resist it. Mm. Rather than accepting it for what it was, just a means of exchange of value. <laughs> yep. It's interesting because I, I just finished reading The Almanac of Navar Ravikant. Not sure if you've heard of him, um, but he's... I've heard the book. I haven't read it. He's like an entrepreneur in America, but he's got a, this interesting balance of wealth and happiness. And in the wealth section, he talks about like, if you think, if you have those type of limiting beliefs about money, wealth will always elude you. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> and yeah, this idea of yeah, money being an exchange of value as a tool. I mean, of course, it's not the only exchange of value. There is so much value that you can't put a, a number or a, a price tag on. But agreed, if someone is willing to pay you or exchange money in return for whatever you're offering, must be bloody good. <laughs> must be solving a problem, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's what the exchange of money is in this instance when people pay me, me to coach them. It's to solve their challenges, to help them solve that. And those challenges, when you get really connected to what it's costing them, that's how you can put a financial amount of money on that. But I know there's a lot of people out there who even struggle to charge money for their services. And one, two people, again, using this example, two people might be doing the same service. One will charge way more than the other. Why is that? It's because mm -hmm. of their relationship to money and their relationship to their own worth. So people will charge what they feel that they're worth. And if you're not connected to what you're worth, it's going to be harder for you to charge it. And that in itself is, sounds like a journey as well, right? That's a long yeah. journey. Again, just coming, coming back to the significant investment. Well, I guess I'm, I'm adding meaning to it. Let's, let's just call it what it was, $75,000 like, or plus, you know? What did you actually spend it on? Yeah, so like there was personal development leadership programs. There was courses like online courses, like just different learning to learn different skill sets, EQ and mindset stuff. It was basically, I spent it on the courses that would give me whatever I needed to level up in at the time. And that's how I approach these investments. I mean, at first, like investing big sums of money and things like that. Like I recently invested, I think it was over $10,000 on a program. And Heshan in the past couldn't have been able to do that very easily. Now I'm able to make those decisions very quickly because I am able to understand what value I'm willing to get out of the program. I know I'm willing to work mm. as long as I'm given 
the stuff to do, I will do it. Whereas before I didn't trust that, which is what made it harder to invest. Like I was like, oh yeah, I might get in this program, but then I might end up doing nothing anyway because I'm lazy. <laughs> right? Sure, sure. You get, you get out what you put in. Actually, you get out more out than what you put in into these kind of things. This has been my experience. You usually get 10x or more. Mm. It just, mm. like that's what programs are designed for. And then if you have a good coach who's been where you want to be and is essentially has, has gone where you want to go, that's what I look for when I'm looking for investment in mentorship, in programs. Are these people, are they, are they aligned with my values? Do they share values that I want to grow into? Are they the kind of people I want to be like? Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you can make an assure, assure investment in yourself because you know those people are where you want to be and all you have to do is listen to them because they have the experience. Experience is life's greatest teacher. I believe that. It sounds like everything was awesome, but does anything, does any like particular experience stand out? Did you meet any particular cool people? I think I may have seen you in a photo with Gary V. <laughs> does anything stand out? Um, good, good digging, man. <laughs> yeah, man. I went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and I'm proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that Gary V event, that was something I actually volunteered for. Like I w- that was with a bunch of people who I was in a personal development program with at the time who became some of my best friends and some of them I still talk to today, they're like family. And I find when you go through some of the experiences you go through, like the longest program I've done is seven-month program. I did it as part of an organization called Landmark, which at the time, like I had a lot of resistance to doing that work, but I also knew it was going to give me what I needed to go to the next step. And so because of that, I put myself in the container and I went through the transformation that I needed to go through. And on the other side of it, I was a different human being. And I took all those lessons and kept going in my life as I went on to new mentorships, new different things, and whatever I needed next. But that Gary V event in specifics was a volunteer event. And I wanted to put myself around people who had great mindsets, had the kind of mindsets that I wanted to have, and I wanted to absorb it. So my life, like since I got bottled, has been this journey of trying to absorb the mindsets of people around me trying to better my own mindset, optimize it, figure out what it is about me and my thoughts, my mind that is actually stopping me from having everything that I want. But mm-hmm. the quickest way I found was through investing in people who had been there, done that, who could cut out the noise work for me and just show me what needed to be done. Yep. Provide a blueprint. Yeah. And, and people may, I know there's this whole thing about coaches and people like that out there, right? But if you really cut out the noise about how you think about the realm of all of that for yourself and just look at, can this person help me? Do they have something that I want? And do I believe that they can help me achieve that? Then that should be enough for you to take a leap. And I'm saying that from experience because that's how I approach investment in myself. Oh man, that's so practical. It's so simple. I love it. Thank you, man. I love it. And the way I look at it, it's like, you know, if, if you're a kid, you have a parent, you have teachers, you have sports coaches, you're constantly people that are molding you into some, just transforming you. And then suddenly when you become an adult, you're like, oh snap, I got to do all this myself now. Like, <laughs> Where is everyone? <laughs> and I think that's where coaching and yeah, all this stuff, all that beautiful stuff you talk about, I think come in. It's like, yeah, just continuing to level up. I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel. And people are so generous, right? Like I think... 
if you ask the right questions and you ask and you try to seek out the right questions, the right people, it's astounding how nice and generous people can be. So uh, thank you for sharing that, dude. I would put one point to that is people are generous if you're generous. And Mm. people will show up as to you how you are yourself. So if you're a generous person out in the world, like you'll receive that Mm. because that's your mindset. Your mindset is like a magnet. You'll attract the way you think, which leads to the way you behave, the actions you take. And then life will begin to reflect more and more of who you are as a person. This is my work. From that day I got bottled, your internal state reflects your outer reality 100%. And this is something that I believe. It's hard to draw the lines between how everything connects. But if you keep looking and reading your reality for long enough, you'll actually see that everything around you that's happening to you goes back to here. Mm, he's pointing at his head. Ah, oh, sorry, I forgot this part. I'm pointing at my head, guys. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. How empowering. I love it, dude. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Now, we've gone on a bit of the Heshan Fernando journey and I'm enjoying this, this road trip. <laughs> um, the next destination is, I guess, this process of now turning those learnings turning all that growth into the model man. And within that, your high performance mindset coaching. What does that look like now? Like in terms of you you mentioned, um, you've created your own blueprint, success without sacrifice. Yeah. Talk to me about that, man. That's very intriguing to me. Yeah. So success without sacrifice is essentially about how to navigate your career, whether you're a business professional, working professional, without sacrificing what's important to you, your health, your relationships, your happiness. So that program has been years of building and figuring out who I am to have that as an expression out in the world. But that program is, in essence, what I learned about how not to have to sacrifice yourself or sacrifice personal fulfillment in order to achieve professional success. Because I think there is a model for success out there that has been taught for generations that you have to sacrifice in order to succeed. And I'm speaking specifically about my dad's journey here, which is where this was all born out of because I watched him sacrifice everything that was important to him to try and achieve that professional success. He didn't want to do it because that professional success he was trying to achieve was to provide and protect for his family and people beyond our family. Because his identity was to be a protector and a provider for everyone because of his life journey. And I've learned that story by asking him questions about his upbringing, his childhood over time. And that gave me an understanding of why he is the way he is, which actually gave me an understanding of why I am the way I am. Mm, mm. But that success without sacrifice model is to teach people how to achieve stress-free high performance. Performance that gives you the results that you want, like maximizes the results without it coming at the cost of yourself. And I, on a bigger mission, I want the whole world to be able to have that kind of approach to performance and that kind of approach to their life because I think it just solves a lot of the societal problems we have. That's my selfish intention for running this work. 
Oh, it's not selfish at all, man. Yeah, I, I'm putting that in quote unquote selfish. As in, that's yeah. the reason I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm going after it very hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what is success to you then? Well, actually, let, let, me, let me take that a bit further. What, I don't know if you can remember, but what was, what, how would you have defined success at 22? When in those, like maybe just pre the incident and now? And how has it changed? Yeah. And how would your dad define it? I'm, I'm, intrigued. I'm interested as well. Well, that all ties into like the same questions you just asked. My model for success was my dad's model for success when I was 22, which was give up anything that's important to you to make sure that you're providing for everyone else. Yeah, right. Okay. That was his model. And as his son, I adopted that model subconsciously. And on a conscious level, I was spending my whole teenage years onwards trying to fight being that way, which caused a lot of problems for me between me and my parents because I was trying to not be like them. But on an identity level, I had taken on this identity of success that my dad had. And a part of me felt like that was the way to fulfill myself. So I was in this constant conflict where it's like, I don't want to be this way. But I'm also feeling really bad that I don't have the money that I want to have right now because I'm not following the way he does things. Like I quit my corporate job at 24. I didn't even want it for that long, to be honest. And I had no reason why I wanted to quit other than the gut feeling that something was calling me to something greater, like for my life. And I felt like, and you can do it, like if your greatness is to be called into the nine to five workforce and to do that, like that's your greatness. But my greatness wasn't that and I could feel it. And life was screaming at me louder and louder and louder every single day not to be in that job until I couldn't take it anymore because I was, I had become so adept to listening to my internal state without ignoring it that I was like, I can't ignore this anymore. I've got to just quit. And I told my dad, I'm quitting. And he's like, are you sure? Like you've come so far, you're about to earn all this money. Blah, blah, blah. His model for success. And I was like, Dad, I just need you to trust me on this. And he did. And he gave his blessing and all of that. I probably would have done it anyway. But he was very supportive, even though he didn't understand why I was doing this. Because he came from a very different generation where having job security, that package, that paycheck meant stability. Yeah, maybe even survival, right? That generation. Well, yeah, my dad came from survival, like a lot of immigrants did. And he had that survival mindset, like just make things happen, like put yourself, like if you need to just slaughter yourself to get there, like do it. But it'll be worth it because everybody, everybody else around you will get like what you give out. And that's how my dad lived. And he's since broken that. He was actually my first client a year and a half ago. Oh, wow, really? In my program, yes. Because I felt if I didn't run it with him, who was the source of the program, who was the source of who I am as a, as a man, then I couldn't run this effectively with other people because there was healing there to have and me and him went through some healing during that program. Wow. What a special moment. Like how, how did that go? That's, yeah, that's it was awesome. surreal. It's surreal. And it's nice to be able to reflect on it now in this conversation because I don't always go back and reflect on it. Like I moved on, but that was probably one of the more significant milestones in my life was being able to run a program for my dad that was born out of the pain that we went through as men in our family. 
and his pain. And I felt this program is the culmination of being the generational stop for the trauma that's had been had in my family for generations through all the men, through my dad's dad, through his dad and so on. Mm. How has he changed since the program? Like He stopped sacrificing himself to meet his professional needs. He's still working. His mindset has completely changed. He's a lot more relaxed now. And he's not living, and what he told me is he's not living this life where he's doing everything to please everybody else, to put himself last. He's actually putting himself first, saying no more often now. And he recognizes his own value and that he doesn't have to keep doing everything for everyone else all the time. Like he can pick and choose how he wants to do that. And it's not a reflection on him as to how giving he is or isn't. Man, that's powerful. So, I mean, in his internal state, he's a lot more peaceful. So powerful. Kudos to you for doing that and kudos to him for taking part. Like that shows a lot. (laughs) Shows trust, shows love, shows a lot. So, wow, that's such a beautiful story. Thank you. And I'm I'm just going to reflect this back to you to make sure I've got it. Now your definition of success is much more about I mean, the name of your blueprint, I guess, success without sacrifice and thriving, I guess, professionally and maybe even more vocationally with like a very purpose-driven professional career type approach, but then having like beautiful relationships, you know, your finances being good, you know, your family knowing who you are, your friends knowing who you are. And is that, is that accurate, man? Yeah, it's literally the title. It's making sure that you're present at the end of your day when you come home after work and your wife or your partner or whoever gets the most of you, gets your full attention. It's being okay with days, like taking days off and not feeling guilty for doing so. Mm, mm. Like being able to dial your performance up and down and actually be okay with doing that. It's putting your health first. Like if somebody says to drink alcohol and that's something that you don't want to do deep in your heart, then you don't do it because you now have the ability to say no without feeling guilty to do so because you're no longer a people pleaser. And these are all the symptoms of self-sacrifice and being in this mindset of survival, this mindset that has been externalized to please everybody around you, to worry about what everybody thinks of you, to always be thinking about everybody else except yourself. So now my model for success is I put myself first. I get clear on what's important to me and I put myself first in my life by living in the congruency with my values so that I am giving to others from a full cup instead of a cup that's constantly drained. And which allows me to actually give to greater lengths to actually increase the results I'm producing in my life. Because now I'm actually tapping into my full potential rather than operating at 30 to 40%, trying to give myself to everybody else, constantly crashing and burning. So the, the model is just a flip, flipping the script on what it is to be a performer. And I'm, I help people shift from what I call a stress-centric mindset to a rest-centric mindset. Yeah, that, I'm glad you brought that up. Because I'm... Very interested to hear what you, how you conceptualize stress and rest, actually, because um, stress, I think, is commonly talked about, but I don't think people are necessarily talking about the same thing. It's a very broad word at the moment. And rest is 
very underrated. So how do you conceptualize stress? How do you define stress? Yeah, I think stress is quite literally the emotional charge tied to limiting beliefs that we have. And that emotional charge can be embarrassment. It can be shame. It can be guilt. It can be anger. But it's negatively charged. And it's tied to some belief that you have based on past events about things that happened to you or things that you went through. I believe that stress is carried in our nervous system in those forms, like in one of those forms, or like uh, there's other forms of stress as well, just general stress. But it's carried in our nervous system. And then what happens is as we're going through life and that stress is running in our nervous system, we're actually stress-centric because our internal state is stress-centric. So every choice that we make is coming from this stressed-out, reactive state. If you're constantly a reaction to life, then everything you're going to be doing is coming from this place of being rushed, and it's going to lower the quality of your decision-making, i.e. it's going to make you put other things first before yourself in order to drive performance. And that's a losing model from my experience. Oh man, that's a fascinating approach to stress. So it's, is all stress bad? The specifically the stress that we're carrying in our nervous system that limits us is the stress that I am always looking for when I'm working with clients, right? Anything in moderation is healthy. I think stress can be used to get us to take action and things like that. But I find the problem with that being the driver for your performance is eventually you do crash and burn. Like it starts off small, but the more you suppress your stress and try to bulldoze your way through performance, the louder the stress gets to try and get you to course correct and take actions to actually put yourself first. I think of stress like a signal, trying to communicate with you, to tell you to take different action so that you can improve your life. And that stress gets louder and louder and louder the less we listen to it. <laughs> yep. Oh man, this is because uh, I'm having to come out of my GP doctor brain and, <laughs> and take on this definition, which I love. So am I right in saying it's almost like the way you define stress is like, it's like the, the relationship, your internal nervous system or physiology, the relationship it has with your self-limiting beliefs and all the stuff that has happened in the past. Is that accurate? Just want to make sure we're talking about the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm referring to something happens in your past that you make meaning of in a negative way that's, I don't know, like this event happened and now I'm angry, that anger stores and attaches itself to the belief that you have about yourself or the per people around you that hurt you, that you carry on and then drives your life. And that anger is sitting somewhere in your nervous system attached to those beliefs. And so the next time somebody comes along that reminds you of the person that bottled you, you get triggered or you feel uncomfortable, or you feel unsafe. And that's the reaction that's happening internally because that person reminds you of that person over there, even though it's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And then where does the, the rest come in? And how does it come in? So my saying is your pain is in your perspective, but so is your peace. And what I mean by that is if we carry all this pain in our perspective through limiting beliefs that are running our thoughts, our behaviors, our actions, and giving us the life we have in front of us, 
then equivalently, what we, if we change our perspective, if we understand what the limiting belief is that's driving what's triggered us, if we get to the truth of what we believe and then we recognize it as not necessarily true, but there's a different way to think, then what we're doing is we're shifting our perspective to more empower us going forward when we fall into those same circumstances next time so we're not triggered. So, for example, I was triggered by the idea of the person who bottled me for years. Um, I'd hear stories about him, mates had like bumped into him, and anytime I heard something to do with him, I'd feel this uncom- discomfort inside myself, right? And that was the triggers going off, the stress that's been stored in my body around that situation, what had happened that I hadn't dealt with. As I did the, the mental work on myself over time and I had realizations about forgiveness and letting go of shame, the guilt I had around that situation, and actually the fact that I felt guilty that I actually put myself in that situation, wow. which is what I was blaming myself for, which is what I recognized, and that was the truth. Once I recognized that, it actually allowed me to then have a conversation with, find him and have a conversation with him and share with him the man that I've become since then and that I forgave him for what happened. And that's what I call like a rest-centric approach because now I've let go of all the charge I have around what happened and it's left my internal state calm. Like I'm not going to... The next time I get triggered, there's no stress, there's no anger, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no anything in my system that will cause me to be reactive or a reaction to what's happening in front of me. So what I'm doing is I'm going from being reactive to being responsive to my my environment. And being a person who's responsive, i.e. calm under pressure, i.e. a person who doesn't have any stress or trauma or anything that he's carrying causing him to react to things outside of his control, then that puts me in a position of being rest-centric. Fascinating. Yeah, even your definition of rest, I think I need to come out of my own brain and, and take it in because it's, it's, it's not rest in its traditional sense. It's much, much deeper, which I love, dude. Good for you. I love that so Thank much. Thank you, I appreciate that. Especially coming from someone with your experience as a doctor as well, I'm sure you must deal with these things all the time from a, you've like studied it for years. So it's a real cool thing to be able to talk to you about this and hear your perspectives and, and just speak to you about it as well. Yeah. Thank you, man. Like I, th- I think vocabulary, this, the, I'm glad I clarified that because I think vocabulary matters. Vocab- even vocabulary is, is charge, right? The same word stress or rest can mean a thousand different things. So thank you for explaining your language. <laughs> and in the interest of time, Hesh, I just want to just express my utmost gratitude, man. That was, that was incredible. The vulnerability, the story, the, that journey, I think anyone listening, I mean, our intention that we said at the start was like, hopefully someone can be inspired. That would be awesome. But hopefully even better would be if someone is inspired and then they do something with it. And I think what you just delivered will hopefully tick that box, man. I think for, even for me, like when I listen back to this, I think I'm something that I think I'll probably change is how much I'm investing in myself. So thank you for that. And That's awesome, man. My last question to you, brother, is if you had one thing you wanted to share with our audience, just as a takeaway, what would that be? 
you are worth more than you realize. That's what came to me. And I think a lot of people underestimate just how much they are worth. And also that there is nothing that you can do, that you can say, that you can think that actually makes you worthy. You just are. And if you're born and you're alive, you are by default. Thank you for listening to the Solve for Greatness podcast with your hosts, Dr. G and Budima. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe and share. See you soon.